When it comes to maximizing time in the uplands, without fail, Onyx Hunt is my most valuable tool. From planning my next hunt through a new bird cover to navigating in the field, Onyx Hunt is truly with me wherever I go. With detailed mapping and satellite imagery, along with a multitude of map layers from land access to forestry and habitat information and easy-to-use tools to mark, measure, and catalog important information, Onyx Hunt seamlessly integrates digital scouting with boots-on-the-ground time in the field. With offline mapping and Apple CarPlay integration, you are free to explore the wild landscapes our beloved upland birds inhabit. Planning your next move in the uplands begins with knowing where you stand, and for me, that starts and stops with Onyx Hunt. Download the Onyx Hunt app today and use the promo code BSP20 to save 20% on your Onyx Hunt subscription. When the miles rack up faster than your flush count, that's when you'll truly appreciate your hunting vest from Final Rise. Built for the uplands and proudly sewn in the USA, the complete lineup of hunting vests from Final Rise, from their all-new Summit XT down to the minimalist Sidekick system, are all built upon the foundational load-bearing waist belt and low-profile shoulder strap system, which allow you to carry all the gear you need and do so comfortably while maintaining your ability to move freely and perform when you need to most. With a complete lineup of accessories and newly released performance field apparel, Final Rise has the gear you need to help you get the most out of every mile and every flush. Final Rise gear is built for the uplands. Get yours today at FinalRise.com. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. This episode of the Birdshot Podcast is presented by Onyx Hunt, Final Rise, and Upland Gun Company. On this episode of the show, we introduce a new GPS track and train caller from Garmin. Thanks for tuning in to episode number 221. Welcome back to another episode of the Birdshot Podcast. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. We've got a great conversation coming up with Rehan Nana and Sean Hayes from Garmin. We're talking Alpha 300 and TT25 today. New units from Garmin released last week, and we'll tell you all about it in just a moment. But first, I got to thank Patreon patrons of the Birdshot Podcast, those of you out there making voluntary contributions in support of the show to keep conversations like this one coming your way. Appreciate that. Patrons are eligible for monthly giveaways bonus content, exclusive discounts and offers, and we get everybody set up with 
some Birdshot Podcast can coolers and stickers as a little thank you as well. You can check that out and sign up at patreon.com forward slash birdshot. All right, we're back this week. I got a couple of announcements for you before we get into the show today. Had a busy week of gun fittings at Pine Ridge Grouse Camp a couple weeks ago. I've been out doing some turkey hunting. I am still on the hunt for Minnesota turkeys. I had a really exciting hunt last week where I struck up three toms from a long ways out in a piece of private property and eventually called them all the way over to where I was set up on public land. They came in a long ways, gobbling their heads off the whole way. They gobbled at everything I threw at them. And this eventually played out for two hours. I was in the vicinity of these toms and they continued to gobble, but I could not coax them onto the public land where I could get a legal shot. I think I had a number of factors working against me in my limited understanding of turkey hunting, but they had the high ground, they were in an open field, and I was trying to pull them to low ground into the woods. I had no decoy. I have limited calling skills in the bag, but I threw everything I could at them. And it was really, really fun to be in the game for that extended period of time. I ended up making a big move on the birds. I circled around them, got to some higher ground, fired them up again, thought maybe I was going to close the deal, but then something happened and they kind of went quiet and I don't know if I spooked them or what, but it was a really, really exciting hunt. Had a ton of fun interacting with the birds for that extended period of time. And it was just good for me to have a hunt like that, I think build a little confidence in being in and around turkeys and calling and all that sort of thing. So uh, if you got any tips of how else I may have messed that up, feel free to send those in to nick at birdshotpodcast.com. But I'll be at it again. Birds still seem to be pretty active around here and I'm having fun with it. So that's my turkey update. Got some good feedback on the episode from a couple weeks ago and got a few more book recommendations as well. So thanks to everybody out there listening and sending those recommendations in. Okay, I've got a really cool Upland Gun Company related announcement that just came together this week. If you are in and around the Minneapolis Twin Cities area, we are going to be there at the Horse and Hunt Club doing gun fittings with Del Whitman June 20th through the 23rd. So that's the window that we will be there. The fittings may be full at this point. So there'll be more to come from Upland Gun Company on the whole gun fitting schedule specifically. But why I'm mentioning it on the podcast is because on Thursday night of that week, which happens to be June 22nd, we will be hosting along with the Horse and Hunt Club and Onyx Hunt a little get together and social gathering for anyone to come and hang out, talk double guns, bird dogs, bird hunting, all that sort of thing. Check out the shotgun lineup from Upland Gun Company. If you're interested and haven't had a chance to see them in person, that will be a good opportunity to do so. Myself, Jerry Havel will be there. Del Whitman will be there. And hopefully a bunch of you out there listening will stop by to join us as well. Maybe cut out of work early, come down, shoot around a sporting clays, and do happy hour with us and Onyx Hunt and the Horse and Hunt Club. And that will roll right into free live music provided and hosted by the Horse and Hunt Club, which they do on Thursday nights, as I understand. So... Really looking forward to that. Thursday, June 22nd at the Minnesota Horse and Hunt Club. Come on down and see us. Upland Gun Company, Onyx Hunt. We'd love to see you there. And I think it's going to be a great time. Can't wait. So I'll give you some more details on the podcast in any episodes between now and then as they come available. And you can check out uplandguncompany.com as well for more event details or to subscribe to 
the email newsletter over there and stay up to date. And briefly from Onyx Hunt, being that I've spent some time in the Turkey Woods lately, I've been doing lots of mapping and digital scouting and notice a new little trick available in Onyx. One of my most commonly used tools in Onyx Hunt is the line distance tool where you can measure the distance between two points and you can actually do as many points as you want. So a lot of times I will draw a route through a grouse cover, for example, that I am e-scouting to figure out what kind of a hike I am committing myself to. I do that all the time. And the line distance tool is very easy to use. You can use it very precisely with a little crosshair and dropping different points along a route. But the new trick that I got a little pop-up in Onyx this week that I noticed was kind of a quick distance check where you can just hold your two fingers down on two points on a map and the line will pop up immediately and show you the distance between your two fingers, which I thought was really cool. If you're just looking for a quick check, which is probably something I will use hopefully tomorrow morning if I'm out, if I am perhaps standing in a spot or sitting at the base of a tree and I hear a gobble, I can pull out my map based on where I think that gobble is, do some quick distance checking, figure out how to make a move on that bird. I I use that line distance tool all the time and that little quick hack made it even easier. One of the things I love about Onyx, it is continuously improving based on user feedback and input. And they're pretty good about letting us all know when those new features are added. But I figured I would mention it here on the podcast as, again, the line distance tool is one that I use quite often. So check that out, Onyx Hunt. And you can always save 20% on your Onyx Hunt subscription by using the promo code BSP20. Oh, and one more thing. I've got a survey that I would love if you could take a minute of your time to fill out. There will be a link in the show notes to this podcast. It's 22 questions, I think. Might take you five minutes to fill out very quick. And as you can imagine, it is to learn a little bit more about the audience and those of you listening, gathering some information along with a few of the other podcasts I collaborate with on the Outdoorsman Network. And if you're willing, I would really appreciate you taking just a couple of minutes to click that survey link, answer those 22 questions and leave a rating and review while you're at it spotify apple wherever you're listening subscribe to follow the show all of that in addition to the survey will help to keep these conversations coming your way on the birdshot podcast okay let's talk garmin on today's show i've got rehan nana former guest of the show pr guy at garmin along with engineer sean hayes and as you will learn on today's episode Sean has been with Garmin Tritronics for a long time, 27 years to be exact, and he has been involved in just about every Garmin dog product along the way. So if you're like me, I've used the Alpha 100, 200, and soon the 300. Sean's fingerprints are all over those, and it was really fun to get him on the show today to learn a little bit more about what goes into designing and developing such a high-functioning, capable piece of technology As you can imagine, Sean is very busy doing engineer things, and we only had an hour with him. We could have gone on and on talking more about the features and functionality of some of the Garmin GPS units, but we covered what we could. And as always, I will suggest if there are questions or you've got follow-up thoughts, feedback, please send those to me at nick at birdshotpodcast.com. Depending on what comes in, we could always put together a follow-up Q&A session. Rehan and I will put our heads together and figure something out, but... You'll get the gist of it on today's show. And before we jump into the conversation, I just wanted to add in, as you'll hear me say on today's episode, I have been using a Garmin GPS caller on my bird dogs from day one. And I consider myself fortunate in that regard that when I got my first bird dog, 
almost 10 years ago, the Garmin Alpha 100 was on the market already. And at the recommendation of the breeder where I got my dog, Jerry Coulter, I picked up an Alpha 100 before I even brought Hartley home. And as I reflect back on that, I have extremely enjoyed using the Garmin GPS products over the years for the flat out peace of mind and stress relief that they give you. And I really think that was kind of a sneaky good recommendation by Jerry Coulter. He's of course given me lots of good advice over the years, but that one in particular, I would not have realized it at the time, but what that allowed me to do as a very inexperienced bird dog handler has ultimately been so beneficial for me and my dogs. And by that, I mean giving my dogs the freedom to hunt on their own independently and enabling me to stay quiet and stay out of the interaction between my dogs and the birds. And I'm oversimplifying here, but I don't think it can be overstated how important I feel it has been to my bird dogs and their development and me being very inexperienced 10 years ago and now having a little bit more experience, but just allowing them to develop and hunt confidently on their own without me stressing and worrying about losing my dogs in the woods or having to over communicate to them and get too involved in the process. It's just a style of hunting that again, I learned from talking to Jerry Coulter and his dogs. It's one that I've come to really, really appreciate. And I've seen what can happen when a new bird dog handler cuts their bird dog loose in the grouse woods. And the minute they disappear into the cover, what that can do to a new handler's mindset. And for me, I just think the Garmin GPS callers have played a huge role in helping me and my dogs develop a good hunting relationship a lot faster than we may have otherwise. So that's what I've got to say about Garmin GPS tracking collars. My dogs and I do not go in the woods without them, and you're going to learn a bit more about them on today's show. With that said, let's welcome into the conversation and onto the Birdshot podcast from Garmin, Rehan Nana and Sean Hayes. We are rolling on the Birdshot podcast, and I'm really excited today to welcome back to the show Rayhan and and Sean from Garmin. We're going to be talking lots of Garmin today and plenty of bird dogs, and I'm sure we'll get into some other stuff as well. But Rayhan, you've been on the show before. Uh, let's let's do a brief intro, and maybe you have a new title now since la- something about being a hack or something. <laughs> you got a new job, I think. That was one of those things where that wasn't supposed to be public, Nick. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> oh, whoops! I'll cut that yeah, out. Uh, uh, no, great to be back on with you. Um, Nick, I think what we hunted together about two years ago, it's good to finally connect, but we've known yeah. each other for years, both run setters, you know, up and guys. So always a pleasure to be on a podcast with that. Uh, here at Garmin, uh, I'm lucky I do media and um, some sponsorship stuff. And I'm really fortunate that I get to be the one to talk about all the products that Sean and his team uh, create. He's the engineer. I'm just kind of the mouthpiece for it. But been a longtime Garmin fan. Um, I remember, Sean, I don't know if I told you, but I, I wrote an article like 11 years ago, way before I was at Garmin, or 9 or 10 years ago, actually, about the Alpha 100. And I said it is the single most important piece of gear um, y- y- you know, a pointing dog person can have, and I still mean that. And so I'm glad to be talking about 300 today. Awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I will I will interject here that, Rehana, the... 
I've thought about we we got to spend a couple hours in the woods that one day you were you were up here chasing grouse and we were sharing pins a little bit while you were up here hunting and you you had some spots and I had some spots we went and met up and we had a it was a warm afternoon very uh, unproductive hunt I it, I took Ray Hunt into a, a prospective cover and uh, I have not been back there since. Okay. <laughs> 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 good time though we got into we did get into some birds so it was worth there it. were a couple there were a couple in there but uh yeah the, the cover was uh hey you, you win some you lose some right yeah yeah that's true well sean uh rayhan kind of teed you up there a little bit but give us the give us the brief history on how you you've been you've been with garmin tritronics for a long long time so let's uh mm-hmm. if if it's not brief that's okay but let's let's hear some of your background and history with dog related uh, collar products. Yeah, sure. So, uh, I have been uh, in this industry for about 27 years. Um, started with Tritronics and then went to Garmin, uh, when Garmin acquired Tritronics. Um, I actually started here while I still go to school. So it's kind of like my school job. And I just sort of fell in love with dog products and with, uh, working in this industry and just kind of never left. Uh, so, these days, I'm the product manager for all of our dog products, um, and then I also run our development facility here in Tucson, Arizona. Excellent. Were you an electrical engineer, or what's the what's the background that led into this field? Yeah, I actually studied computer science and physics, and that's what I was studying when I started here. And I tried my best to sort of hide and uh, <laughs> just like go to school and do that thing, and you know. I saw different things, but I was like, no, 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 I'm not going to get involved. I'm just going to school. But there's this big battery charger that broke, um, and I knew it was broken. And so, and I worked at night because I was going to school during the day. And so this battery charger broke, and uh, I fixed it at night. And uh, the next day I came in, and there were a bunch of engineers going, who fixed this? Why does this work now? <laughs> you shrunk down in the corner. It was, like, <laughs> it, was, it was like everybody else took a step back. <laughs> <laughs> I was the only one left standing there. Was it me? Yeah, that's right. Um, my hands had like solder on them and stuff. Um, <laughs> yeah, so that's that really, I kind of got outed that way. And uh, from there, uh, moved into different technical roles throughout the company. And and ultimately, I, I've you know kind of led every different part of the process of making the products we make um, over the years, um, which has been great. It gives me, a, I think, a good perspective on all the different challenges that we face making these products and has allowed me to, to help make some, what I think are pretty cool products. Yeah. I would, I would second that. And I just want to jump in, Nick, in case there wasn't any question, I didn't go to school for computer science and physics. I don't think you did either. (laughs) There's any question who's the smartest person on this podcast. I'm going to tell you, it ain't me. Yeah. Without it, without a doubt, that's uh, that's abundantly clear at this point, not to spend too much time on that on 27 years ago, but was that, so was that Tritronics at that time? Oh, yeah. That was just Tritronics. Yeah, we were making training collars at the time. Okay. Um, I did not come to this job with a lot of dog background. So, like, when I started, there were, um, you know, products that I didn't understand what they did. I certainly didn't understand that people would want to buy such a thing. And uh, it was a big learning experience to figure out not only do people want to buy them, but they're really um, transformative and somebody's ability to work with a dog. And that's, I think, what really got me excited is this, once I started to learn, oh, you could do all this stuff with this product that without it, you really can't do. Like, there's no way to reach a dog out at a distance without this technology. And it just had so many kind of cool pieces of like radios and transformers and everything else that goes into into the products we make that, that it really was sort of a love at first sight situation of, you know, how can I work with so many different things 
that have such a compelling use case. I, I mean, to this day, I, I struggle to figure out other things that are like that. Um, it's so that's yeah. It was it was not a. There were no um, GPS collars at that time. There were no nothing. Right. It was just a radio system um, made by actually some local engineers that bought stuff from a local lion hunter guy that like knew a guy who was good with tools or whatever, and they were advancing the technology. And my generation of Tritronics really, uh, what we started doing is bringing in microcontrollers and modern electronics and modern technologies and making upgrading things significantly uh, once we once we had the ability to do that. And to one thing before we go a little bit further with that, Sean, do you remember, I don't remember the exact year, when was Tritronics founded, do you recall? 1968. Yeah, 1968. Mm. And so we talk about 27 years ago. I mean, like, you, really what you're saying is like the late 90s is kind of when you probably started there. And yeah, the reason I bring that up is because I think it's interesting that this is the, I mean, Sean is the constant evolution of, of this company and this products that have been around since the late 60s. We're, those of you who don't know, um, Tritronics was one of the, the founding companies for e-collars and really development within that space. And so mm -hmm. the history there that even Sean was building on when he was there, I find fascinating. Yeah, it definitely was not a uh, new company when I started. It was a, a, a going enterprise with a philosophy about how to do things that actually matches Garmin's philosophy very well. It's one of the reasons that uh, that everything has gone so great uh, becoming a part of Garmin because it really was just building upon what we were already building. Another kind of thing that people probably wouldn't believe is I'm not the one here. I'm in an office right now that I look out. If I look out, there's somebody that's been here um, for like 40 years. That's right there. There's a, another engineer that's been here a little longer than I have. There's a person in our SQA uh, team, the leader of that team, that's been here like two years less than me. There's quite a few of us around that have that Tritronics DNA and have carried it all the way through to Garmin. Um, so it's, yeah. that says something, in my opinion, of uh, you know what the company has been for us and how important it's been in all of our lives. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yep, no doubt. So to again, we're, we're eventually we're going to talk a little bit about kind of where we are today and, and maybe where we're going, given uh, depending on timing. But I want to go back a little bit again to some of these big steps, these these major leaps and bounds in in dog tracking and training technology, and we've kind of hit on some of them. The listeners will know I'm relatively new to this. I've been running bird dogs for 10 years now, so I've seen some some cool advancements in the technology. But when I got my first dog, I had a Garmin Alpha 100 before I took that first puppy home. So so that's kind of where I, I stepped into this evolution, and I know that you know, you go back beyond that, it's beepers. And I'm envisioning a guy on the side of the road with a, you know, one of those old telemetry and, and I'm sure you can speak to that, Sean, and I, and I would like you to do so. And I think, you know, today, like this podcast, most people listening are, well, upland bird hunters, presumably, yeah. you know, we are benefiting from this technology, but I, but I suspect that upland bird hunters were not necessarily the driving force. You mentioned lion hunters, hound hunters, and there's some, there's some cool, symmetry there between those two user groups and how we're both benefiting from this technology. But going back to my original question, what were some of those, some of those big leaps in this tracking collar, you know, leading up to GPS technology, obviously. Yeah, we, I think that, uh, the first big, so when I first started, there actually wasn't a way to even change the level 
from the handheld, which we called the transmitter for when you're issuing a correction. You had to retrieve your dog and manually change the level. It was really something else. Um, so fairly quickly, we started thinking, how do we fix that? And we innovated on that. And in the uh, sort of late 90s, that was one of the first things we came out with that I'd say kicked off sort of the modern generation of training collars themselves. That was a really big um, change and allowed a whole bunch of things to, to work differently. The ability to add dog devices to a system you already bought was actually kind of a big change. That wasn't something you could do before. So you had to sort of make this uh, kind of huge investment up front. Some of the pricing on some of these devices were higher back then than they are now. Um, so if you think about inflation and whatnot, that's really, right. really high back then. Um, yeah. So a, a lot of changes that just made the product more accessible and more usable. And then over time, one of the things that started to happen um, is we it became obvious that there needed to be we were making beepers. I had made a couple of beeper collars. Um, GPS technology was kind of a thing, um, but it wasn't really common at that time. So we all started looking into that and trying to figure out how could we make a product that incorporated these kinds of technologies together. Um, so we had the training piece uh, really well in hand and we were doing a lot of tracking things and we could talk for a whole long time about all the crazy things we tried, but some of them uh, were really crazy. Um, some of them were GPS based and uh, <laughs> we, we ultimately uh, got very close to doing that. And at one point we began talking with Garmin actually. And I, I talked to management that time and I said, Hey, we need to, we have some drawings of what we're working on. And, and if we're going to speak to folks at Garmin, I need to have those in my back pocket and I need to be able to show them to them if it comes up. And so we started talking to Garmin. Garmin had already started making GPS tracking collars, um, but they couldn't do training yet. So there was no Alpha 100. Um, and as we talked to Garmin, it became readily apparent that all of us were basically working on the same device. I actually had this in my little uh, briefcase or whatever. I had this little manila folder and I'm like looking at management saying, hey, can I like bust this out? Because we're like, they're talking about the same stuff we're making. And I'm concerned right, if I don't right. show somebody this, when I get back to Tucson, they're going to be like, they copied our stuff. <laughs> it was that simple. So I wow. took out my little picture and and uh, showed. And sure enough, it was it literally uh, looked like Alpha 100 wound up looking. I mean, it was wow. that co- co-evolved. Um, so that was a big change, adding training to tracking. Tracking itself really came from Garmin having other products that did sort of similar things and really passionate bird dog guys within the company making those products sort of work in like a kludgy way and going to management again and again and again and saying, look, look at this weekend. I tracked my dog. See how cool it was. And then engineers getting wind of this and saying, and Garmin pretty much like is all engineers all up and down more or less. And then uh, the engineer saying, Oh, I saw what you did there. How about if we do this? And like it evolved tweaky style until finally a product came out of that. Um, So a lot of these things are just very evolutionary engineers working on problems, trying to make things better sort of organically. Yeah. It's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Sean, I want to hop in because you touched on something that I like telling people, like one of the things that uh, people ask a lot is like, how, how does Garmin like come up with these things? And you know what I mean? Like if you look across our different segments, like there's always something new and radical coming out, whether it be in the outdoor space, the marine space, the, you know what I mean, automotive, aviation, all that stuff. And what I find so unique about Garmin not being an engineer myself is that 
you know, Garmin has so many engineers working on so many cool, unique things, and they talk really well. And so they can share yeah. technologies and stuff like that. And so, like, that's always kind of like how I explain, like, how do these things kind of come to be? And a lot of times what I find so amazing and what I always found so amazing about that Alpha 100 was that a lot of times it's like in a space that may not have a lot of technology and then to introduce something that just kind of really changes it. Like, right. you know, GPS tracking and training is kind of a ubiquitous thing now within right. Upland and Hound world. Mm-hmm. So I, I find that fascinating from kind of a product company standpoint. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, one of the sort of special skill sets of Garmin, especially that relates to these products, is the combination of, of having people that understand the technology, but then that can apply it in intelligent ways to solve a problem. Um, it's yeah. very easy to over-tech something and to make it be like, it kind of reminds me of those Yagi antennas you were mentioning where you had to be like a radio engineer to figure out how to tune the dials and stuff. We wanted simplicity, and we always want simplicity. Everything that we design is that way. So we want to, it's my job to know the technology, and it's also my job to get the technology out of the way of guys like you that need to use it to do other things that you're doing to enjoy your time outdoors, to do that with less stress. And to basically have a better relationship with your dog, a better relationship with your time outside. Um, And so that's what gets me excited. If I can take technology and you don't even know I did it, then I feel like I've been the most successful. If you're looking at it going, okay, so how does this, what do I adjust over here? What do I do? Then I'm kind of like, okay, I need to probably need to improve that one a little bit more. So, but yeah, that's a good point, Rayhan, that that's all of Garmin kind of works that way, but we thrive on it in, uh, in dog products. Well, and, and you're kind of, I'm going to lead in with another question, Nick, if you don't mind. It's Go something ahead. that I kind of find interesting where we talk, you know, we touched on that Alpha 100, and I think that was like nine years ago. And then yeah. we went to 200. Mm-hmm. Um, and my question in there, and because we go from Alpha 100 to Alpha 200, and then we're at 300, what what is the what is it that you're trying to provide a customer with the next iteration? And can you kind of just like walk us through a little bit, like, you know, 200 and then you know, what the 100 to 200 and then 200, like where we're at today. Right. Yeah. So, um, it, it really is kind of the, the, the physical reality of what I was just mentioning. So alpha 100 was based on, uh, technology that was available at the time in terms of displays, maps, um, everything inside the unit. Uh, it was all stuff that we were able to, to, to get access to and make into a product that worked pretty well. Um, and obviously over the years has been incredibly successful and transformative for a lot of people in terms of letting them find their dogs. The path to 200 um, was really just a natural evolution of that. As technology changed, as we were able to uh, incorporate newer displays, newer electronics into, into a new product, that's where 200 came around. 200 also is where we wanted to evolve inReach into our handhelds. Um, and we can talk in a second about what inReach means. Um, and then 300 is really um, 200 opened a lot of doors for us and, and, and helped us learn a lot of things. And 300 is the capitalization of the very latest technology, um, the most powerful engine we can put inside the unit to make things happen, and a bunch of applications on that device that that only are possible because of the more beefy electronics inside that unit. I heard somebody describe and uh, the the two hundred to three hundred. They're like, yeah, it's like a car that looks the same, but the three hundred's got a way bigger motor in it. And I was exactly. like, that's a perfect. That's exactly. a great. That's a great. It really does. Yeah, yeah. From an engineering perspective, it's really. This is going to sound super geeky, but it's uh, 
it's a joy to develop on 300 and T20 and TT25 because they do have the right, they have the most cutting edge platforms of anything we've made. And that lets us do all kinds of cool stuff that we just couldn't do on other platforms. And as engineers, that's like, you know, we think of it and we can do it. And that's always super fun. It's, it's fun to be challenged and to be like, oh, we want to do this, but we can't for whatever technical reason. That's fun too. But it's also fun just to hit the gas and go. So <laughs> that's what 300 yeah. lets us <laughs> Yeah. Gearing up for your next hunt? Check out Ugly Dog Hunting Company for all your dog supply needs. Ugly Dog Hunting carries a full line of products for your bird dog and even some for you. Whether you're looking for dog collars, GPS tracking devices, kennels, beds, leads, training equipment, or first aid supplies, Ugly Dog Hunting carries it and a whole lot more. New owner of the company and friend of the Bird Shop podcast, Mike Nadusky, loves to remind me that while I do hunt with pretty dogs, every dog can be an ugly dog. Check out the entire selection of gear for you and your bird dog at UglyDogHunting.com. For many upland hunters, along with their passion for dogs, birds, and the places we chase them, comes a passion for shotguns. Upland Gun Company specializes in customizing shotguns for the upland bird hunter imported from Italy and shipped direct to an FFL near you. Select from one of their side-by-side or over-under shotgun platforms and customize the fit, function, and aesthetics to your liking. Design and build your next upland hunting shotgun with Upland Gun Company today. Visit uplandguncompany.com. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at ArmorAll.com. ArmorAll, less work, more clean. Terms apply. So in in my the the Alpha 300 came out last week. Uh, this this pod we're recording this podcast shortly before it's going up, so it's pretty pretty current uh, depending on when people are listening. But in doing some looking around and stuff, is the 300 is it the same actual physical body as the 200? Because it looks very similar. It is. It's it's well, it's virtually the same mechanical enclosure, and the reason for that really is. Um, we, so we're always sort of assessing and, and talking to folks and figuring out what needs to be improved, what needs to be better. And when we asked those questions, there were some things we could find, but there wasn't anything with the form factor of 200, which one of the big things 200 did is it introduced side buttons to the unit. So that made it be a lot more glove friendly. Um, and one of the things we're very sensitive to is um, change can be good, and it often is, but change can also be disruptive. And so we didn't want to, we just kind of recently introduced this paradigm of side buttons to help with navigation. And we didn't want to change that again. People are just learning that and getting used to that. There's no reason to to change it unless it's not working. And so once that decision was made, then it was like, okay, well, you know, why don't we just keep the rest of it kind of the same too? It's all working. It's a familiar form factor. It seems to be about the right size. The battery system is really good. And these are the things that would make us change that. Um, and, and all of them were still resonating from 200. So we really focused on, on the inside of the unit and the software. And then we did make um, some improvements like to the screen. So even though it looks the same, it actually is a different screen. Um, sure. There's some other changes like that. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's why they look so similar because uh, there wasn't a compelling reason to make people relearn a handheld to get the other improvements we wanted for 300. Yeah, that, that makes sense. And, and I think 
you know, there's a there's kind of the like the story of the Alpha I find kind of interesting, and you've touched on a few of those aspects. The 100 came out nine, ten years ago, whatever it was, yeah. and that had a really long life cycle, which in and of itself is impressive because the 100 is still a functioning, high functioning unit that people are still yeah, using no. today. And, you know, it's part of it is the simplicity um, and, and just its flat out capability, which I think is, is really cool. And I, and I always think about like the turnover of say cell phones, you know, every year they're, they're pumping out a new cell phone and that just on the surface, that just doesn't feel right for something like this because yeah. you don't want people relearning this every year. But giving the 100 such a, a lengthy amount of time to breathe before finally saying, all right, let's capture some of this new technology and change the form factor a little bit makes sense. And right. now we've got basically just another iteration that is, is much more on the inside than it is the outside makes perfect sense to me. Cause I've, I've been using the 200 for a couple of seasons now and yep. it's uh, I, I love it. So yeah. And the 200 is still around the 200, 300, you know, are going to coexist. Um, it really was, uh, we knew there were certain things we could only do in what we created out of 300 and we just kind of, uh, pre presented some ideas, uh, to, to leadership and said, Hey, we think there's some things we can do here and, and ran with it. And that is not to say, incidentally, um, considering all the blood, sweat and tears that goes into each of these products, that's not to say that I'm expecting another handheld next year and that we're going to be on a one year case <laughs> with these. Um, yeah. this was a, a, a bit of a rare opportunity, I think. And, um, that's, that's what the kind of quick timing was, but that's also one of the reasons we are real happy that 200 is still with us too, because it's a great unit. Like you said, 100 is a great unit as well. Uh, you know, Astro 430 for people that want to use that sort of a system, all of them have their advantages. Right. And, yeah, yeah. They, they all do great. Um, the 300 is just, if you're the guy that wants the cutting edge thing, if you need some of the features that, that it enabled, um, that's, that's why you're going to go there. I would just also like to point out for listeners, it's, you know, there is a nine year gap there. It's not like Sean was just twiddling his thumbs. I, mean, I was not. <laughs> he was working on a whole yeah. bunch of other products was, yeah. too, you know, so, I mean, I was just thinking, not, we don't just, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. So well, uh, there was, there was plenty of stuff in the interim too. You know, there was a 550 plus oh, yeah. and I don't know if you guys are involved on in the watch side of thing. You know, you're probably not developing the watches, but the integration. And so there's, there's plenty of stuff to keep us tech guys busy. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> there, there is one thing you touched on that, um, and correct me if I'm wrong, but the, the, the screen from the 100 to the 200 went to that sunlight readable display, right? right? And it was, and that's an interesting thing that I wanted to touch on, and maybe we can talk about it later, but I find it fascinating, and I, I like geeking out on this stuff too, Sean. I'm, uh -huh. like, I'm always been a Garmin fanboy, so here I am. But <laughs> that I find it so unique that we talk about it from an Upland. Like, we run Upland dogs, but this thing... It's a unit that has to go has to play in both worlds in the hound world, which is a nighttime unit for a yep. completely different thing, and then an upland side of it. Like, how do you balance that? Like, how do you how do you do that with a product like this? Yeah, that's a great question, and there's a couple answers. One is uh, we are, you know, that's one of the advantages of the of the length of time a lot of us have been here, of the deep relationships a lot of us have with the different markets that our products serve. Is we think about it, we think about okay. This is going to be used outside during the day in a desert environment. This is going to be used in, in a truck. This is going to be used in a tree stand uh, in, in the morning, in the evening. This is going to be used by duck hunters. This is going to be used, you know, all these different places. And we actually do, um, and Garmin does this everywhere, but 
we really, really uh, lean into it hard in the dog products. We empower all of our engineers to, to know these things. I spend a lot of time talking to people about all these different facets of our products. And so like when we started looking at the new screen, the some of the details of the screen, the, the Keller gamut it's called, which means how accurately it can display Kellers is wider. And that's based on the construction of the screen. So that's not a thing that we uh, could engineer ourselves. We worked with the vendor to do that and they made a better screen. But when we looked at that, we said, you know what would be cool too, based on some of the use cases, is if we could just brighten the screen at the same time. And so to do that, that was under our control. We were able to do things on our side, engineering-wise, backlight-wise, to improve that screen's overall brightness. And that was really based on, hey, if you're using this in the cab of a truck and you're using it in these other environments, you need to be able to have a screen that has the right level of brightness and the adjustability of brightness to work in all of those environments. That also speaks a little bit to one of the other really big improvements on 300, which is battery life. Having a screen with a different backlight architecture um, let us adjust the backlight a little more finely and actually helps us get just a little more battery life out of the unit. And, and it's, again, kind of a tweaky thing for somebody. But if you're the guy who's out there and your unit would have been dead had we not made that tweak because the battery died, um, then you're pretty happy that we made that slight tweak. Mm -hmm. And you could go a little lower on backlight, actually consume a little less battery and still have a really bright, readable screen that worked well for you. Well, you're saying it's a little more battery life because of that screen, but the totality of the battery life on this unit compared to the previous one is Usually pretty significant. Right? About 3x, Huge yeah. Effect. Yeah, it's about 3x. There's a lot of power savings inside that help us do that. There's, there's a lot of under-the-hood stuff we did. Um, and then there's a lot of these things like the backlight. There's a tap-to-wake feature on Alpha 300, so if you're not using it, you could set a timeout between 30 seconds and two minutes. The screen will just time out. And then if you double tap it like a phone, it just wakes up. So there's a, a whole bunch of almost too many to name things that we did to get uh, out of the box, almost three times better battery life and more than three times better if you set it into sort of the lowest power state it can be in. That's, I mean, I don't, we, I do want to talk about, we'll get into a little bit of some of the differences and or advancements but i don't think it's it's very clear that battery life was a was a priority on both the callers and the handheld and i don't think that can be understated because yep. one of these things with with technology i mean certainly battery life is is you know it's powering all of this stuff and when you start to rely on a piece of technology like this it's amazing what it can be until doesn't work uh, right yeah and and ba battery is one of those right. one of those fail states and I mean, I can just, for me, in my upland hunting, like the way that I use my collars and my handheld, battery life has really never been an issue. You know, I'm in, I'm in and out of the truck one to two hours. My dogs are not being cut loose for four or six hours mm -hmm. like, like the hound guys, which, again, that's one of those things. We're all benefiting from people pushing this technology to its, to its limits, and then we benefit that. Right as upland hunters because we're not using it in the same way but my point of that being is like if you actually do lose a dog mm -hmm. and that's when you need the battery life the most right to keep to keep track of your dog so any all of these advancements in in battery life of course are a win for us but i mean some of the some of the figures and and the quotes on what the new collars and handheld can do for battery life are very impressive one one of the things i want to hop in here and because it's something that I'm really proud of Garmin works on this. And the best way I heard it described was from one of the leaders here. Um, and they said, nobody likes, nobody likes um, starting a road trip 
looking down and seeing you got a quarter tank of gas, right? right. Nobody right. likes that. And it's the right. same thing with battery life. And so that's what, and so many of Garmin's outdoor products, you see like, you know, battery life gains that are just huge. Like the watch that I, that I use is the, the Instinct. And it has, if you're getting the solar charging, it has unlimited battery life in smartwatch mode. Like even not, it's like 28 days, even if you're not. And so, and I mean, we talk about it within the, the alpha units, but the handheld GPSs that are, you know, non-dog units, those have crazy battery life. Um, so that's just something that I was like letting everybody know about because it's an, a design intention that is so perfect for the outdoors, right? Of like, you can't do that without, I would say it's like, if you don't have, if you, you know, if, if you don't have your handheld or you, you don't have your collars, they're dead. Mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of times the, the hunt ends. Um, so right, right. Yeah, happen. right. Uh, honestly, the battery life is getting so good that, like, by the time I need to charge something, I'm look. I'm always looking for my charge cable because yeah. they get squirreled away somewhere. Like I just like my watch. You know, it's it's weeks before you gotta like Rayon said. It's just it's it's really really good that we're we're kind of forgetting about charging. Yeah, no, that's that's kind of the goal, and that's also one of the reasons we went. It's it's a you might think it's a subtle change, but for exactly the reason you just mentioned, it's actually important. We changed the USB C on both the dog device and the handheld. So now that's the same yeah. charging system that many other things use. So you can just, you know, before this morning I wanted to make sure the stuff I have in the room here with me is charged up. I just had the charging cables that are on my desk already for other stuff, plug these guys in and, and everything was charged up real quick. And uh and I know, you know, that I that I have the battery life to go for a good long time if I need to, uh, even if I didn't have those cables, because that's that happens, right? Like you forget your charger, you forget whatever. And one of the big things that that we want to do is make your time uh, with your dog and your time outside productive. And the the worst thing is that you forgot a charger, and now all of a sudden you have all the stress of oh my tracking's not working correctly because I'm not charged or whatever. We don't want that to happen. So better battery life, easy charging system should equal everybody's got a good good result on a good charge system or they can charge it up quick with whatever they've got around. Yeah. The USB is, are the, are the new collars, do they, they still have, are going to have a clip, right? Where you clip onto the collar to charge. Yeah. Is that the same or is that different? It's a, it's a clip on um, this clip here. So it is a clip, but it's, it's USB-C um, right here. And the only reason into this and the only, and we did look at, we actually mocked up a bunch of designs that had USB-C in the collar. Um, and the only reason we went with a clip is uh, we don't – USB-C is the standard, right? So it's always going to look this way. We got very concerned that if this was exposed to running in the field and, and all that kind of stuff. going to fill up with all kinds of stuff. Yeah, yeah. and then somebody's yeah. going to like heavy hand a charging cable into there, and it's going to be a world of badness. Um, so that's why we went with a clip on that side. But on the handheld, it's, it's uh, in the same location as the charging port was, just USB-C yep. now. Yeah, that's I I think that's it's a kind of a sneaky improvement because <laughs> you know not to get too much down the rabbit like the USB like everybody's familiar with it you know we had the original then you had mini then you had micro and you know people really leaned into the micro which is what the Alpha 200 has and yeah. I will say I I've never had I've never had any issues with my Garmin micro SB ports or cables but that has, and I, you know, one of the reasons why I think USB-C has been more well accepted is it appears to be more durable and sturdy. And I have had issues, less so with the ports, but with micro USB cables. They just they tend to be kind of finicky, and yep. that's not the case with USB-C. Right. 
Yeah, I agree on all, on all the points you're making. Um, and we, as Garmin, as a company, that's one of the things we get to leverage is we have a lot of partners in the company that are using all these technologies too. So, you know, when I want to yeah. go USB-C, I can talk to 10 other engineers working on 10 other things and ask them which ports are they using, what experiences are they having, and make sure that the one that goes into a dog product is the appropriate one for our application. Yeah. And there's just basic convenience too with like, like you pointed out, you know, a lot of things are using USB-C right now. That's probably the most, the primary charge cable I have lying around. So it's easy to find, you know, not like, uh, you know, Apple does this. I know they have their reasons. It's probably short-sighted, but I'm a consumer, you know, they, they invent their own proprietary charge cable and mm-hmm. then, you know, you're, you're, sure. you're caught without, without a cable. So the using USB-C, I think is a, that's a big win. Yeah. Enough about USB-C. Let's hear right. about dynamic traffic. <laughs> right, right, right. So <laughs> I, I did want to work this question in because we're kind of like, we're obviously neck deep in this stuff. And I think a lot of people listening to the show are going to be very familiar with GPS tracking, but sometimes going back to basics is a good thing. Sean, if somebody says like, what is a, what's a GPS tracking collar? Like, what does that do? You know, how, what's your, what's your 30 to 60 second elevator speech on a GPS tracking collar? Yeah, yeah, that's a good question. A GPS tracking collar uh, is a collar that sends the location. The collar itself receives GPS locations from the GPS satellite constellation over the whole planet. Um, And it will send that location using a VHF radio to a handheld that it's paired to and display that location on a map. And so if you have five dogs, you see five little uh, locations on a map and you see yourself on the map and you can see your location relevant to all those dogs. And then make decisions about, you know, is, is the dog in the right spot? Do you need to move yourself? Do you need to do something with the dog to maybe reposition them? Is the dog safe? Are they going towards the road? Is there anything else that you need to think about? Um, that's really what GPS collars enable us to do is put that dog's location on a map in your hand in a reliable and consistent way. Go ahead. So if you don't mind, something on that one I just wanted to bring up. Sean, could you briefly explain, and this kind of ties into channel view, but like, can you explain the MERS radio, like how that works for people? Sure. Because that's one of those things where it's like a lot of times it's like, well, it's just witchcraft. That's how that works. But they're <laughs> yeah, really right. like, you know, yeah. So yeah. Sometimes it does feel like it's witch witchcraft. But <laughs> <laughs> so what MERS is? It actually stands for multi-use radio service. It's a service that the in the U.S. the FCC lets us use. Um, one thing that people don't think about sometimes: these products are sold internationally. So. MERS and GPS, those are U.S.-based concepts. There's other flavors of that for the rest of the world, and, and these products work with those different flavors. But the fundamental principle is there's five channels, five radio frequencies. Like if you were tuning a radio dial back in the day, I don't think people tune dials anymore, but if you were, um, it's five of those different channels, uh, stations, if, if you want to think about it, that we can use. That's what the FCC tells us. So what we did is we took those five channels, we broke them, into time slots. And then when we send, it's basically like the collar and the handheld make a little appointment. And that's one of those 20 time slots. And in that appointment, the collar says to the handheld, hey, this is my location. I'm over here. And the handheld says to the collar, okay, we'll do this or whatever, or says nothing, depending on what you're, what you're doing. And that's, so MERS really is this system of frequencies. And then we added our system of time slots into that. Um, and then that's kind of how it works. And I, I don't think I can go into it, but I don't think you want to go into the detail of exactly how MERS works. But <laughs> that's enough. I have, I have a <laughs> that's, that's, at the, that's at the point that I start getting confused. Yeah. Did I hear witchcraft? Yeah. Yeah. yeah pretty much. Pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, yeah. Here's a question that I think I assume I know the answer to, but I'm I've always been aware that the GPS tracking works on sort of these update rates, and there's yeah. there's maybe something with the 300 that we could talk about, but two and a half seconds sending the location to the handheld, so I know where my dog is every two and a half seconds. You can alter that time window. The tracking stuff that's must be a different system, right? Because when we're when we're I mean, sorry training when we're training our dog vibrating uh using stimulation or tone that's immediate which is very critical in that so that's a different system correct um that is a really really good question and i'm i'm stalling to figure out how to answer it without (laughs) getting a lot of technology involved but so um so when uh when tritronics and garmin got together one of the things we had to solve was that exact problem and the way we basically solved it is we took uh this is this is a simplification so like if it's not exactly perfect, but it gets the idea across. We took one channel that we picked and decided on, and we said, you're the stem channel now. And and the other channels are where the GPS communication happens. So picture that four channels would be available for GPS, one channel for training. That's a lot more complicated than that under the hood, but that's basically what it is. And it's to solve that problem so that we could still have the response time you need in a training application um, and, uh, and, and be successful uh, with your dog but still get a 2.5 second update rate and how that actually mm-hmm. works under the, like in, in real life uh, is a little stunningly complicated. Um, and is one of the things that I love teaching new engineers when they join um, going into all the detail of that. Cause every single time the reaction is they don't get it, they don't get it, they get it and their mind is blown. And they're like, <laughs> how did you think of that? And it was, yeah. it was me, another engineer that still works here. Three guys in a room in Olathe the afternoon of the day Garmin was acquired. That's or uh, yeah. Tritronics was acquired by Garmin. Yeah, and two of them because it was in the summertime. Two of them came in from summer vacation for that meeting. It was awesome. <laughs> That's cool. Oh, was the moment. Uh, okay, we found the right company. We're home. <laughs> <laughs> this brings up another point. Sometimes I don't. You know, it's like. It just works. And I always like knowing uh-huh. that they, there's a whole lot of thought that goes behind it. And it's very, very technical. Yeah. But the most important thing for like Nick, guys like you and me, is all we need to know is it works yeah. and we can trust it. Yeah. And that's that's the thing about like, and I think Sean, not to put words in your mouth, but like that's kind of what you're saying about removing that piece of technology, like having to, that that's just what we need to know. We need to know that it works and that we can trust that Garmin unit. And that's what it, what it comes down to. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's actually probably a really good segue into dynamic tracking, which we've kind of hinted at a little bit because what dynamic tracking is, is we take that update rate. So we still have training of course, and we have the update rate um, that the GPS is working on that 2.5 seconds. Dynamic tracking takes that and says, Hey, what you really want as a user is you want to know where your dog is at. And you want a reliable, high-fidelity track line on your on your handheld and in Explore Mobile if you're using that. That's what you need and want out of your device. What you don't necessarily know or need is to know, do I get that high-fidelity track line by 2.5-second updates, or do I get it by 30-second updates, or two-minute updates, or what is it? So dynamic tracking adjusts automatically to figure out, you know, what's going to work best for you right now because your dog isn't moving is a much longer update rate. If I dropped, I can drop point on top of point, but there's no new information there. And so dynamic tracking sorts that out. And the net effect of that, that sounds like a pretty simple thing to do and kind of like, oh yeah, why didn't we always do that? It's There's a lot under the hood to do it because training does still need to work no matter what that update rate is. Um, 
But what that does is it makes battery life be much improved. And then the other cool thing it does is if you have a lot of devices around each other, those could create interference for each other. We're talking about those five channels and 20 time slots. Those could be on top of each other, potentially, depending on how you set your stuff up. But if you go into dynamic tracking, now you've dramatically reduced that level of potential for interference. And then on the handheld, we give you a channel view that we talked about that actually lets you see all that interference if it were to be happening. So between those two changes, that's kind of the culmination of this thought process of how does GPS update, training, and battery life, and interference all play together. That's what dynamic tracking is. Yeah, and I'm going to back up a little bit because I don't think we like properly introduce. In addition, for listeners, in addition to the new Alpha 300, um, the 300 and the 300i, which has inReach in it, um, the, we also at the same time announced new collars. So that's what I, I thought this announcement was so cool because not only is it a handheld mm-hmm. or two handhelds, but it's also new collars when it's the T20 and the TT25. Right. Um, and one in a naming convention why we use that is track and train is TT and then T is just the tracking. Um, but it, it's an entire redesign and kind of reimagination of the collar to create kind of like a modular system that is incredibly user friendly. And it's got, like Sean said, a lot of horsepower and a lot of new features, the dynamic tracking lights, you know, all, even like Sean, could you touch on like the user replaceable um, aspect with, with the flex bands and the battery? Sure. Yeah. Um, so the, the flex band on our products is how we get the GPS antenna to be uh, positioned higher up on the dock. Um, and certainly back in the day, that was really critical with GPS technology back then that you have that on top of the dock. And so we made this concept of a flex band, which is a, uh, a sort of elastomeric band or a rubber type band that puts that GPS antenna on on uh, the back of the dog. And that part of our systems, if if you're somebody who's into hog hunting, let's say, or if your you know, dog runs in a real rough country, you could get damage to that band. It is an elastomeric rubbery sort of component and it could tear or it could get cut. And previously, if that happened, you had to actually send your product in and get a replacement or, or things like that. So we realized that that was a, a point in our unit where we probably could help people by making that be user replaceable. So what we did is we uh, figured out a connector system where there's nothing to plug or unplug. You just undo two Phillips head screws and that flex band comes right off the unit and you could replace it and put a new flex band right on it. Um, So you don't have to send it in. Uh, This is just an accessory item basically you can acquire and just do that change, uh, you know, in your workshop at home or wherever you, wherever you have tools available to you. Cool. I've never, never had to replace one of those mice. I mean, just, as a general rule, the durability stuff on on all my Garmin stuff has been, and I'm I'm not just saying this; it's it's been phenomenal. I mean, I I run that Alpha unit on the front of my bird vest for two years, and people, do you have a screen protector on? I mean, I don't even know is I don't know if that's Gorilla Glass or what it is, but I, there's not a scratch on the thing, and I I do not yeah. do not baby it. So I I definitely appreciate that. One thing that I think I want to point out about the collar, which Rayhan was was getting to, is the previously there was the standard TT15 collar the sort of the full size unit and then they had the mini unit the most one of the most unique things that I think is very applicable to bird hunters is this this new one has a single size and as Rayhan described to me it is kind of right in the middle of the old full size and the mini so you no longer have to sort of decide which way to go you just you just have one solution yeah exactly we were able to take the way we've kind of thought about it is we get full size performance which means range battery life things like that 
in essentially a mini sized collar. It's about the same height. It's a little bit longer. And a lot of some of that length is, is the replaceable flex band required a little bit of length. Um, but it's, it's really, it's closer to a mini than it is a full size in terms of size. Um, but we were able to get all the range, all the battery, better battery actually, um, in that smaller unit. And all of that is through, um, dramatic improvements on the electronics that are in the unit, things getting smaller, uh, us doing some sort of interesting things around how we packaged everything together. And again, still keeping that reliability that you're mentioning, because that is really critical to us. We would never sacrifice that, um, for size or performance or any other reason. So starting from that basis, we were able to kind of shrink the unit down. Rayhan had mentioned um, that these units also are compatible with an extendable battery pack or an extended battery pack. That battery pack actually doubles the battery life. So if you get the wow. unit and you're like, okay, this is you know a good size, but it's okay if it's a little bit bigger and I really like battery life, then boom, you put on that extended pack and you get over 120 hours of battery life um, from a single crazy. charge. It is kind of crazy when you think about yeah. it, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Battery life. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. I I know I just to to give folks an example if they're curious about I I've got on my two setters I my male is fifty pounds and I I had the full size collar I eventually went to the mini just because mm-hmm. I just like the smaller size and I wasn't pushing that battery to its limit I kind of charged my collars at the mm-hmm. end of the day and never had never had battery life or range issues so I went to the mini so I'm I'm definitely excited about the twenty fives being again just if you can if you can have the same performance but a little bit less weight on the dog's neck i mean that's a win-win so yeah yeah we have uh somebody that works in the office has a little sort of chihuahua sized dog that uh he brings in pretty much every day and uh and that dog has for a while now been wearing a a t20 around the office all proudly strutting around with its little collar on (laughs) and uh yeah no no reduction in movement so it's small enough even for that uh a practically toy sized dog to wear it yeah yeah that's nice. What, one of the other things to touch on, um, and I think this was probably more from a design standpoint from the hounds, but I just like letting everybody who know, like hunts with any dog is those lights. You completely change the lights on the collars yep. now. Um, for those of you who, who don't use those lights, you, who've got these units, I, I love them and, and because once it's you know shooting light and you got to walk back to the truck and it's dark and there's roads – flip those lights on because it really helps people around roads. It keeps you, yep. you know, so yeah, from that side and how many, how many different colors you can change from your handheld now on the collar? So there's seven different colors and with an alpha 300, you can change them from the full range of the system. So if you see, wow. you know, lights in the distance and you're like, is that my dog or is that something else? You can actually change those lights to a different color. Um, you know, they might be red and you could change them to blue or there's white available green do you have orange colors. uh there's an orange-ish yeah there is i'm a sucker for orange there, there is yeah um yeah there is an orange-ish and the other thing that's kind of cool about the lights is they on our on a previous products they've you, you didn't have color options and they uh shined more or less kind of forward on the unit on a tt25 the lights are designed so that they both shine forward and to the side so you get a better range of viewability. But the other really cool thing they do is they make a pool of light that's kind of in front of the dog. So as these units get smaller, they get closer and closer to the dog and they become they light up the dog's fur more than anything else. So on this device, we decided, OK, let's acknowledge that happens and make this pool of light in front of the dog. So more what you see, you do see the dog itself, but you also see this pool of light running around and you can help identify where your dog's at from seeing that. 
and then change cool. how they blink, change the lights, uh, colors, you know, just trying to give again, safety and, and uh, stress reduction are big aspects of these products for us. And if you can know where your dog's at and, and be sure, okay, yeah, that's my dog. I changed the light to flashing and that changed to flashing. I'm all good. And then you can, you know, go yeah. back to enjoying yourself. Yeah, that's awesome. So, uh, one of the advancements in the 200 was the ability to program buttons and different, you know, layers and layers of menus so you can get quick access to some of the, I'm guessing you can program the lights to basically be the tap of a button. Is that correct? You can. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, that's cool. Um, want to be respectful of your guys' time. I know we're coming up on it. Uh, automatic software updates. That's that's a big that's one. A big one. That is a yeah, big one. Yeah. That's kind of everything's <laughs> everything's going that way. But now yeah. the both the caller and the handheld right. are will be connected to a Wi-Fi network. And if you got them plugged in and charging, they're they're going to update automatically. Really, really briefly, if you can, and this goes also for people who um, may have a little bit older unit. Sean, briefly explain why is that important for people to mm. do. You know? Yeah, so software updates, that's where we're able to provide all of the latest updates, fixes, um, new features, enhancements, uh, all, all of that kind of stuff that, that we do with our products. So when we launch these products, we obviously don't just go, okay, that's out there now and go on to the next thing. We pay really close attention to any issues people are having, and we keep working on cool new things. As I mentioned, the engine inside 300 and T20 the TG25 are really fun to develop on, and so we still are. Um, and if you have these automatic updates turned on, what that means is that as we continue to work on these products and perfect them and solve any issues, you just get the benefit of that automatically. You don't have to worry about, oh, did they do an update and go update it? Um, it used to be the case that at big shows, you would see lines and lines of people at Garmin booths trying to get to the point that we made a special tool to do it quickly, trying to get their stuff updated because it was so important. So rather than make tools to do it at shows, we made the products do it automatically. If people just take that one extra step of hooking that to your Wi-Fi, and then boom, you're always up to date. What else do we need to cover, Rayon? Did we miss anything? I mean, we could be here for another hour and a half. I don't think Sean's got the time, unfortunately. He's got to go design more products. But um, <laughs> I just want to say thanks so much for having us on. Uh, for everybody, Those uh, the units that we talked about um, are out there in the wild. They're, you can purchase them at Garmin.com. Check them out. Uh, if you have any questions, shoot them over to Nick. And, Nick, you feed them to me. I'll, I'll try to answer them as best as I can, which essentially means I'm just going to ask Sean. <laughs> <laughs> we'll try to filter Sean's inbox a little bit. <laughs> I appreciate yeah. it, guys. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much. Well, thanks, thanks to both of you. This, is, this has been a blast. And, and Sean, Rehan, both of you guys, keep up the great work, but mostly Sean. Yeah, thanks a lot, Nick. It's great being you. Thanks, Nick. Yeah. Talk to you guys later. Guys. Bye. Good. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Birdshot Podcast presented by Onyx Hunt, Final Rise, and Upland Gun Company. Don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, and share. And if you really love the show and want to contribute above and beyond what you already do by listening, you can sign up at patreon.com forward slash birdshot. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you on the next episode of the Birdshot Podcast. Onyx Hunt is the number one hunting GPS app. Join millions of other hunters who trust Onyx Hunt to find more game, discover new access, and hunt smarter. Onyx Hunt shows you nationwide public and private land boundaries. They've got topographic and 3D maps. You can track your route, location, and elevation profile. You can save maps for offline use and take Onyx Hunt with you wherever you go. The most comprehensive hunting tool you'll own 
Download the Onyx Hunt app today and use the promo code BSP20 to save 20% on your next Onyx Hunt subscription. Know where you stand with Onyx. Hey everyone, this is Nick from the Gundog It Yourself podcast. If you enjoyed this show, then you might want to check out my show as well. We highlight and break down the ins and outs of training your own hunting dog. Whether it's a bird dog or even the occasional hound dog episode, we cover all topics related to hunting dogs. Check out Gundog It Yourself on any podcast streaming platform and hit the subscribe button to be sure not to miss any future episodes.